Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the region of the Georgian Triangle. We're so glad that you have joined us today, no matter who you are or where you're from. We count it a privilege to be able to serve you, and our goal is to help you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what that looks like might be different for each of us in some ways, but for all of us, what it means is that we yield ourselves to the purposes that God has for our lives. Now, as we see people transformed, they in turn bring about change in their families, in their schools, in their workplaces, and in their, in their communities. Here's what I've seen over my many years of ministry. That head that is bowed on a Sunday morning to accept Jesus is the first step of a long journey. Sometimes it's a direct route to Christian maturity. The person makes a commitment, they plug into a small group, they get baptized, they grow in their faith, and they find their place of service. Sometimes it's not so easy. Maybe it's a woman who came to church against the wishes of her live-in boyfriend. She believed in Christ and she received him, but she ran into severe opposition when she got home. We've rarely seen her since. We deal with a lot of people with very complicated lives, which sometimes take years to sort out. We've had some that have finally made positive steps years after that initial commitment. Like Jesus, we want to love people enough to stick with them. And that commitment that we've made to help people become all that God has called them to be frames everything that we do. And it's underpinned by some values that we hold here at CCC. Now, I could make a series out of each of these, but I just want to remind you of them today. First of all, we value God's Word. See, we believe that the Bible, as originally given by God, is the inspired and inerrant Word of God to direct us in our daily lives. Secondly, we value Jesus-centered community. We will cultivate an environment where all people feel loved and valued and where genuine relationships can grow with the message of Jesus at the center. Thirdly, we value faith-filled forward thinking. We celebrate our past, but we don't live there. We live for our future. We live with anticipation of greater things to come. Number four, we value excellence. We do everything to the best of our abilities. Number five, we value generosity. We're generous with our time, talents, and resources. We're contributors, not just consumers. Now, all of these things go together to help us form a culture that is conducive to people coming to know Jesus and growing in maturity. That's what it's all about. Now, if you heard last week's message, you'll know that we're now looking at Luke chapter 15. Now, if you didn't hear, I just want to frame this very quickly. I want to draw your attention to the first two verses of this chapter before we skip forward. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice that there were two distinct groups of people referred to here. On the one hand, you have the tax collectors and sinners, and these were people who were on the outside looking in. The tax collectors were considered thieves and traitors because they collected money from the Jews to give to the Romans. The sinners were those whose professions were considered unclean or those who associated with pagans. They were not welcome in the synagogue. Now, on the other hand, you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were the religious elite of the community. They were sticklers for the rules. What they valued was obedience above all. 
They were students of the Old Testament law, and they felt that anyone who wasn't as religious as they were was definitely not worth their attention. Now, as mentioned last week, it's the interplay between the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and scribes and Jesus that frames this entire chapter and the parables that Jesus will share. And that's really important for us to understand because it also informs who we are as Clearview Community Church. See, a long time ago, we made a decision that we are here to reach people who don't know Jesus. So we deliberately aim for those who have maybe never been to church or left when they were a child or who perhaps are even agnostic, atheist, or belonging to one of a myriad of other worldviews. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. Now, why? Because we represent Jesus, and Jesus welcomes everyone to come. The heart of God is clearly on display in our, next, in our text today. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus continued, it says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, in this familiar parable, we find the story of the youngest of two sons, we see from the story that he was from a well-to-do family. His household had servants, his father owned property, but this young son makes an outrageous request. He asks his father for his share of the estate. 
But one day he woke up and he was all alone and broke. All of his inheritance was gone. Then to make matters worse, a recession hit in this country and he began to get desperate. He hired himself out to a citizen who sent him out to feed the pigs. Now we have to stop here. We need to understand that Jesus was a Jew speaking to a Jewish crowd, all of whom would consider a pig an unclean animal that was to be avoided at all costs. This young man had sunk to rock bottom. In fact, it goes on to say that he was so hungry he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then something happened. The Bible says that he came to his senses. He said to himself, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go and beg my father to take me in as a hired man. He wants to go home, thinking what everyone else would have thought, that there would be a frosty welcome from his father. But here is where Jesus reveals to us the heart of his father. Now, you see, I'm a father myself. It's hard to adequately describe the emotion of this. See, the picture I get when I read this is of this aging man, probably about my age. He rises in the morning, walking down to the end of his long laneway, peering off into the distance day after day, hoping for a glimpse of his son. His son imagines something far different. He imagines his father as angry, spiteful, and full of resentment. But as this young man drags himself home in shame, his father is longing for his return. One day when the father is looking down the road, he sees someone off in the distance and something in him dares to hope. He looks a little more intensely and makes out a figure walking slowly. Could it be? He begins to walk towards this person in his mind, thinking, yes, he's about the right height and that's his hair color. Could it possibly be? And finally, this patriarch and pillar of the community grabs his cloak up from his feet and runs toward his son. His son is filthy from a long journey, from living with the pigs, from a wasted life. He has nothing to offer. He has no money left. He squandered his inheritance. But his father weeps, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. Unconditional love is represented in this wonderful picture. And the son tries to object, tries to state that he's unworthy, but the father interrupts him and he yells out, quick, prepare a feast, give me my best robe and put it on my son, put a ring on his finger, restoring him as an heir and put sandals on his feet. My son is home. Let's have a party. Now, please listen closely. This is really important. Older, wealthy men in the Middle East would never have run like that. It was considered humiliating. It just wouldn't happen. But there's more to this story. Kenneth Bailey, author of The Cross and the Prodigal, explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called the kazaza. They would break a large pot in front of that prodigal, throw it at his feet, and yell, You are now cut off from your people. The community would totally reject him. The pottery signified the permanent fracturing of the relationships. There's no coming back from that. That's what it symbolized. So why did the father run? He ran in order to get to his son before he entered the village. See, the father runs and shames himself in an effort to get to his son before the community gets to him so that his son does not experience the shame and humiliation of the kazaza ceremony. The village would have followed the running father and would have witnessed what took place at the edge of the village.
between father and son. And after this emotional reuniting of the prodigal son with his father, it was clear that there would be no kazaza ceremony. There would be no rejection of this son in spite of what he's done. The son had repented and returned to the father. And the father had taken the full shame that should have fallen upon his son and clearly showed to the entire community that his son was welcome back home. That was the point of the ring, the robe, the sandals, and the party. He is restored. Now, this would have sounded absolutely scandalous to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. There would have been looks of astonishment flashing back and forth between them. But I want you to think about the reactions of the tax collectors and the sinners. Can you imagine what was going through their minds? Hope. <laughs> There's a way back. Those people listening to Jesus had likely been rejected for much of their adult lives. They were used to the looks from the respectable people. In their minds, there was no way that God would want anything to do with them. Yet here was Jesus telling this story, and there could be no doubt. If that horrible prodigal could be welcomed home, so could they. You see, that was me. When I finally woke up and realized I was on a fast track to nowhere and turned towards God, I was shocked to find him running towards me. This is the picture that Jesus paints for us of who God is, a God who loves, forgives, and restores. That's the message that Jesus was trying to get across to the religious people who were standing outside of the circle muttering. God loved every one of those sinners that Jesus was spending time with. He didn't care that they were wearing, weren't wearing the right clothes, and neither should we. He didn't care that they didn't know they were supposed to bring their Bible every week to church. He was concerned about their heart. He was concerned about their pain. He was concerned about their lostness. And so he declared to them, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest of the parable is designed specifically to speak to those legalists who felt like they were better than everybody else. In some respects, we can understand them. See, the oldest son had stayed home, and he'd done his duty. He'd continued to work for his father. He had been obedient. He'd been a good son. He hadn't made his father look bad to the community. He'd behaved himself. But this was Jesus revealing the heart of those who refused to let people change. There's a party going on to celebrate his younger brother's return, but he refuses to go in. Even when his father pleads with him, the older brother's heart was cold as stone. This parable provides hope for the prodigal, but a stern warning to those in the church. Don't be the one standing in the way of someone coming back to God. You'll get left outside. See, this parable teaches us so clearly that people matter to God. It reminds me of a story that I heard about D.L. Moody. He was one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. He had a church in Chicago, and he would go out every week and round up as many kids off the street as he could and get them into Sunday school. A lot of them were street kids with no sense of proper behavior. They wore ratty clothes, they had dirty feet, and the janitor would always have a big job to do every Sunday to clean up after them. So he came to D.L. Moody one week, and he said, we have to do something about these boys. They're tearing up our carpet. It's hard for me to clean it. Moody looked at him and said this, 
when I get to heaven, Jesus not, is not going to look at me and ask about the condition of the carpet. He's going to ask me, where are the boys? Now, I must admit that sometimes the church has acted like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, standing on the outside, shaking our heads at those sinners, or like the older brother who is upset that his father was so quick to welcome the lost son home. But the truth is that as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of God's grace. Everyone is someone for whom Christ died. The church has a simple message for all who would hear it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said that. For the times that we have not reflected the love of God for people, please forgive us. If you've been hurt in the past by the church, please forgive us. If the church has kept you from a relationship with God, please look past us because the Father is running to meet you. Come home. We're trying to build a community of people here who will love people like that. It's not easy, but we're trying. Our vision is to see people who are far from God become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So we declare with Jesus, come as you are. Come find grace, peace, forgiveness, and a brand new start. Would you pray with me today? God, thank you for loving us. We all need to know the truth that Jesus came to find us. Thank you for Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. Though we are sinners, your word says that if we confess our sin, you will forgive us and give us a brand new start. Would you do that today? Come and live in us and through us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer or would just like to have a conversation about what we've talked about today, you can message us at clearviewchurch@rogers.com. We would love to hear from you. Let me close with a benediction today. So go now into the world inspired by the extravagant love of God. Live generously with open hands, loving one another as if your lives depended on it. Be good stewards of the gifts you have received so that God may be glorified in all that you say and do. And may the abundant love of God surround you. May the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ sustain you. And may the constant presence of the Holy Spirit inspire and encourage you in every good deed and word. Thank you for joining with us today. God bless.